0: Section 17 of Marion Fay by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Volume 1 Chapter 17 Lord Hampstead's Scheme During the following week, Hampstead went down to Gorse Hall and hunted two or three days, with various packs of hounds within his reach, declaring to himself that, after all, Leicestershire was better than Cumberland, because he was known there, and no one would dare to treat him as Crocker had done. Never before had his democratic spirit received such a shock, or rather the remnant of that aristocratic spirit which he had striven to quell by the wisdom and humanity of democracy that a stranger should have dared to talk to him about one of the ladies of his family. No man certainly would do so in Northamptonshire or Leicestershire. He could not quite explain to himself the difference in the localities, but he was quite sure that he was safe from anything of that kind at Gorse Hall. But he had other matters to think of as he galloped about the country, how might he best manage to see Marion Fay? His mind was set upon that, or perhaps more dangerously still, his heart. Had he been asked before, he would have said that there could have been nothing more easy than for such a one as he to make acquaintance with a young lady in Paradise Row. But now, when he came to look at it, he found that Marion Fay was environed with fortifications and a chevaux de frie of difficulties which were apparently impregnable. He could not call at number seventeen and simply ask for Miss Fay. To do so he must be a proficient in that impudence, the lack of which created so many difficulties for him. He thought of finding out the Quaker chapel in the city and there sitting out the whole proceeding unless desired to leave the place with the quixotic idea of returning to holiday with her in an omnibus as he looked at this project all round he became sure that the joint journey in an omnibus would never be achieved then he imagined that mrs roden might perhaps give him aid but with what a face could such a one as he ask such a one as Mrs. Roden to assist him in such an enterprise? And yet, if anything were to be done, it must be done through Mrs. Roden, or, at any rate, through Mrs. Roden's house. As to this, too, there was a new difficulty. He had not actually quarreled with George Roden, that the two had parted on the road as though there were some hitch in the cordiality of their friendship. He had been rebuked for having believed what Crocker had told him. He did acknowledge to himself that he should not have believed it. Though Crocker's lies had been monstrous, he should rather have supposed him to be guilty even of lies so monstrous than have suspected his friend of conduct that would certainly have been base. Even this added something to the difficulties by which Marion Fay was surrounded. Vivian was staying with him at Gorse Hall. "'I shall go up to London to-morrow,' he said, as the two of them were riding home after hunting on the Saturday, the Saturday after the Sunday on which Hampstead had been in Paradise Row. "'To-morrow is Sunday. No day for travelling, said Vivian. The Fitzwilliams are at Lilford Crossroads on Monday. Draw back toward the kennels. Afternoon train up from Peterborough at 5.30, Branch from Ondell to meet it, 4.50. Have your traps sent there. It's all arranged by Providence. On Monday evening I go to Gatcombe, so that it will fit all. You need not be disturbed. A solitary Sunday will enable you to write all your official correspondence for the fortnight. That I should have done even in your presence. I must be at home on Monday morning. Give my love to them all at Lilford Crossroads. I shall be down again before long if my sister can spare me. Or perhaps I may induce her to come and rough it here for a week or two. He was as good as his word, and travelled up to London and thence across to Hendon Hall on the Sunday. It might have been said that no young man could have had stronger inducements for clinging to his sport, or fewer reasons for abandoning it. His stables were full of horses, the weather was good, the hunting had been excellent, his friends were all around him, and he had nothing else to do. His sister intended to remain for yet another week at Castle Hopoy, and Hendon Hall of itself had certainly no special attractions at the end of November. But Marion Fay was on his mind, and he had arranged his scheme. His scheme, as far as he knew, would be as practicable on a Tuesday as on a Monday, but he was impatient, and for the nonce preferred Marion Fay, whom he probably would not find, to the foxes which would certainly be found in the neighborhood of Lilford Crossroads. It was not much of a scheme after all. He would go over to Paradise Row and call on Mrs. Roden. He would then explain to her what had taken place between him and George, and leave some sort of apology for the offended post-office clerk then he would ask them both to come over and dine with him on some day before his sister's return. In what way Marion Fay's name might be introduced, or how she might be brought into the arrangement, he must leave to the chapter of accidents. On the Monday he left home at about two o'clock, and making a roundabout journey via Baker Street, King's Cross, and Islington, went down to Holloway by an omnibus. He had become somewhat abashed and perplexed as to his visits to Paradise Row, having learned to entertain a notion that some of the people there looked at him. It was hard, he thought, that if he had a friend in that or in any other street, he should not be allowed to visit his friend without creating attention. He was not aware of the special existence of Mrs. Demijohn, or of Clara, or of Mrs. Duffer, nor did he know from what window exactly the eyes of curious inhabitants were fixed upon him. But he was conscious that an interest was taken in his comings and goings. As long as his acquaintance in the street was confined to the inhabitants of number 11, this did not very much signify though the neighbors should become aware that he was intimate with Mrs. Roden or her son, he need not care much about that. But if he should succeed in adding Marion Fay to the number of his Holloway friends, then he thought inquisitive eyes might be an annoyance. It was on this account that he made his way down in an omnibus, and felt that there was something almost of hypocrisy in the soft, unpretending, and almost skulking manner in which he crept up Paradise Row, as though his walking there was really of no moment to any one. As he looked round after knocking at Mrs. Roden's door, he saw the figure of Clara Demijohn, standing a little back from the parlour window of the house opposite. Mrs. Roden is at home, said the maid, but there are friends with her, Nevertheless, she showed the young lord up to the drawing-room. There were friends, indeed. It was Mrs. Vincent's day for coming, and she was in the room. That alone would not have been much, but with the two elder ladies was seated Marion Fay. So far, at any rate, fortune had favoured him. But now there was a difficulty in explaining his purpose. He could not very well give his general invitation, general at any rate as regarded Marion Fay, before Mrs. Vincent. Of course, there was an introduction. Mrs. Vincent, who had often heard Lord Hampstead's name, in spite of her general severity, was open to the allurements of nobility. She was glad to meet the young man, although she had strong reasons for believing that he was not a tower of strength on matters of faith. Hampstead and Marion Fay shook hands as though they were old friends, and then the conversation naturally fell upon George Roden. "'You didn't expect my son, I hope,' said the mother. "'Oh, dear, no. I had a message to leave for him, which will do just as well in a note.' This was to some extent unfortunate because it made both Mrs. Vincent and Marion feel that they were in the way. "'I think I'll send Betsy down for the brougham,' said the former. The brougham which brought Mrs. Vincent was always in the habit of retiring round the corner to the Duchess of Edinburgh, where the driver had succeeded in creating for himself quite an intimacy. "'Pray do not stir, madam,' said Hampstead, for he had perceived from certain preparations made by Miss Fay that she would find it necessary to follow Mrs. Vincent out of the room. I will write two words for Roden, and that will tell him all I have to say. Then the elder ladies went back to the matter they were discussing before Lord Hampstead had appeared. I was asking this young lady, said Mrs. Vincent, to come with me for two or three days down to Brighton. It is absolutely the fact that she has never seen Brighton. As Mrs. Vincent went to Brighton twice annually, for a month at the beginning of winter, and then again for a fortnight in the spring, it seemed to her a wonderful thing that anyone living, even at Holloway, should never have seen the place. I think it would be a very good thing, said Mrs. Roden, if your father can spare you.' "'I never leave my father,' said Marion. "'Don't you think, my lord,' said Mrs. Vincent, "'that she looks as though she wanted a change?' Authorized by this, Lord Hampstead took the opportunity of gazing at Marion, and was convinced that the young lady wanted no change at all. There was certainly no room for improvement.' but it occurred to him on the spur of the moment that he too might spend two or three days at brighton and that he might find his opportunities there easier than in paradise row yes indeed he said a change is always good i never like to stay long in one place myself some people must stay in one place said marion with a smile father has to go to his business and would be very uncomfortable if there were no one to give him his meals and sit at table with him. "'He could spare you for a day or two, said Mrs. Roden, who knew that it would be well for Marion that she should sometimes be out of London. "'I am sure that he would not begrudge you a short recreation like that,' said Mrs. Vincent. "'He never begrudges me anything.' We did go down to cows for a fortnight in April, though I am quite sure that Papa himself would have preferred remaining at home all the time. He does not believe in the new-fangled idea of changing the air. Doesn't he? said Mrs. Vincent. I do, I know. Where I live at Wimbledon may be said to be more country than town. But if I were to remain all the year without moving... I should become so low and out of sorts that i veritably believed they would have to bury me before the first year was over father says that when he was young it was only people of rank and fashion who went out of town regularly and that folk lived as long then as they do now i think people get used to living and dying according to circumstances said hampstead our ancestors did a great many things which we regard as quite fatal they drank their water without filtering it and ate salt meat all the winter through they did very little in the washing way and they knew nothing of ventilation yet they contrived to live marion fay however was obstinate and declared her purpose of declining mrs vincent's kind invitation there was a good deal more said about it, because Hampstead managed to make various propositions. He was very fond of the sea himself, he said, and would take them all round, including Mrs. Vincent and Mrs. Roden, in his yacht, if not to Brighton, at any rate to cows. December was not exactly the time for yachting, and as Brighton could be reached in an hour by railway, he was driven to abandon that proposition with a little laughter at his own absurdity. But it was all done with a gaiety and a kindness which quite won Mrs. Vincent's heart. She stayed considerably beyond her accustomed hour to the advantage of the proprietor of the Duchess of Edinburgh, and at last sent Betsy down to the corner in high good humour. I declare, Lord Hampstead, she said, I ought to charge you three and sixpence before I go. I shall have to break into another hour, because I have stayed talking to you. Pritchard never lets me off if I am not back punctually by four. Then she took her departure. You needn't go, Marion, said Mrs. Roden, unless Lord Hampstead has something special to say to me. Lord Hampstead declared that he had nothing special to say, and Marion did not go. But I have something special to say, said Hampstead, when the elder lady was quite gone. But Miss Fay may know it just as well as yourself. As we were walking to Hendon on Sunday, a matter came up as to which George and I did not agree. There was no quarrel, I hope, said the mother. Oh, dear, no, but we weren't best pleased with each other. Therefore, I want you both to come and dine with me one day this week. I shall be engaged on Saturday, but any day before that will do. Mrs. Roden put on a very serious look on receiving the proposition, having never before been invited to the house of her son's friend. Nor, for some years past, had she dined out with any acquaintance, and yet she could not think at the moment of any reason why she should not do so. I was going to ask Miss Fay to come with you. Oh, quite impossible, said Marion. It is very kind, my lord, but I never go out, do I, Mrs. Roden? That seems to me a reason why you should begin. Of course I understand about your father, but I should be delighted to make his acquaintance if you would bring him. He rarely goes out, Lord Hampstead. Then he will have less power to plead that he is engaged. What do you say, Mrs. Roden? It would give me the most unaffected pleasure. Like your father, Miss Fay, I too am unaccustomed to much going out, as you call it. I am as peculiar as he is. Let us acknowledge that we are all peculiar people and that, therefore, there is the more reason why we should come together. Mrs. Roden, do not try to prevent an arrangement which will give me the greatest pleasure, and to which there cannot be any real objection. Why should not Mr. Fay make acquaintance with your son's friend? Which day would suit you best, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday? At last it was settled that at any rate George Roden should dine at Hendon Hall on the Friday, he being absent during the discussion, and that time must be taken as to any further acceptance of the invitation. Mrs. Roden was inclined to think that it had best be regarded as impossible. She thought that she had made up her mind never to dine out again. Then there came across her mind a remembrance that her son was engaged to marry this young man's sister, and that it might be for his welfare that she should give way to these overtures of friendship. When her thoughts had travelled so far as this, she might have felt sure that the invitation would at last be accepted. As to Marion Fay, the subject was allowed to drop without any further decision. She had said that it was impossible, and she had said nothing more. That was the last dictum heard from her, but it was not repeated, as would probably have been the case had she been quite sure that it was impossible. Mrs. Roden, during the interview, did not allude to that branch of the subject again. She was fluttered with what had already been said, a little angry with herself that she had so far yielded, a little perplexed at her own too evident confusion, a little frightened at Lord Hampstead's evident admiration of the girl. As to Marion, it must, of course, be left to her father, as with the question as to the Quaker himself. "'I had better be going,' said Marion Fay, who was also confused. "'So must I,' said Hampstead. "'I have to return round by London.' and have ever so many things to do in Park Lane. The worst of having two or three houses is that one never knows where one's clothes are. Good-bye, Mrs. Roden. Mind, I depend upon you, and that I have set my heart upon it. You will let me walk with you as far as your door, Miss Fay? It is only three doors off, said Marion, and in the other direction nevertheless he did go with her to the house though it was only three doors off tell your father with my compliments he said that george roden can show you the way over if you can get a cab to bring you across i will send you back in the wagonette for the matter of that there is no reason on earth why it should not be sent for you oh no my lord that is i do not think it is possible that we should come "'Pray do, pray do, pray do,' he said, as he took her hand when the door at number 17 was opened. As he walked down the street, he saw the figure still standing at the parlor window of number 10. On the same evening, Clara Demijohn was closeted with Mrs. Duffer at her lodgings at number 15. "'Standing in the street, squeezing her hand,' said Mrs. Duffer, as though the very hairs of her head were made to stand on end by the tidings the moral hairs that is of her moral head her head in the flesh was ornamented by a front which must have prevented the actual standing on end of any hair that was left to her i saw it they came out together from number eleven as loving as could be and he walked up with her to their own house then he seized her hand and held it, oh, for minutes, in the street. There is nothing those Quaker girls won't allow themselves. They are so free with their Christian names that, of course, they get into intimacies instantly. I never allow a young man to call me Clara without leave asked and given. I should think not. One can't be too particular about one's Christian name they've been in there together at number eleven for two hours what can that mean old mrs vincent was there but she went away i suppose she didn't like such doings what can a lord be doing in such a place as that asked clara coming so often you know and one that has to be a marcus which is much more than a lord one thing is quite certain it can't mean that he is going to marry Marion Fay. With this assurance Clara Demijohn comforted herself as best she might. End of section seventeen. Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina.